cut you the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. Now, tomorrow, I'm going to the board. S&P futures are they're down 675. This is after another uh, update yesterday. Uh, we've got NASDAQ futures. Put those guys here in a second. NASDAQ futures down, uh, actually up one. S&P futures are down, and Dow futures down 104. Individual stocks in the Dow that are causing that. Got uh, Chevron Texaco down three bucks, meaning oil must be down. And uh, and we've got the Microsoft down a dollar ninety seven. So not that much. Not nothing crazy in there that I can see. Um, we have the European <coughs> Central Bank is uh, evidently set to have a uh, big increase in their in their um, interest rate. It says here, new anti-fragmentation tool. Dying to find out what that is, man. And a sizable rate hike would both come as ECB deals with its primary mandate, price stability. The eurozone inflation print for June came in at 8.6 percent, up from 8.1 in May. And a German get, now get a load of this. This is how. Uh, without starting the morning off casting aspersions on our people getting these numbers, our CPI has been up is is up what it's up nine percent or something on the year, but it was if you take it month to month. Last month we were what one point two or three or something, so that's it comes in at like fifteen percent. But our producer price index, if you if you separate out the services from the goods, have been over like two percent for like three or four months in a row. We get this German producer prices in June. We're 32.7% higher than a year ago. Ouch. That's a lot. How, how can the producer prices be up almost 33% and consumer prices be up 8 Can you believe that for a second? How can that even be? Uh, but evidently, uh, that's the deal. Um, so the ECB is, is grappling with the same thing there, uh, saying that, that now, you know, of course, they're saying that their main uh, goal is, is to fight inflation. Yet, really, they own all these, all these uh, bonds that these countries have put out. They bought a lot of that stuff. That's why they kept the interest rates so low. And now they're, they're sitting there with these bonds that they've got to be big losers on because they, they bought them way high up. They've got to be sinking. So if they raise these rates, all these bonds are going to go down, and these guys are going to be losing money on all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's really a, a, a corner that they, that they box themselves into here. Right? It's a... You know, I don't know how they're going to get out of it. I mean, maybe time time will do it. Hopefully, it won't be anything worse than that. But they also have an issues with the uh, Putin. Evidently, is going to turn the pipeline back on, but with warnings that they might have to do because they're not getting uh, enough uh, because the the sanctions they can't get parts to the pipeline, so they better be ready for more shutoffs because of uh, problems because they can't get parts because of the sanctions. And you know, some of that's probably true. And also now they're trying to think of. Uh, a way to stop uh, Russian gold exports, which is kind of interesting because the price of gold goes down every day. So you think when they stop, try to stop uh, Russian oil imports, all oil did was go up. Yet gold's going kind of the other way. So anyway, that's where that is. Matty, you haven't been here in a while. What, what's the story on, on baseball? You want to give us a review? Where's Lou? 
Uh, still waiting on Lou. Not sure where he's at. Um, baseball, yeah. How about uh, last night, the most boring night of the year in sports? Yeah, well, except for Every maybe day. the day after Super Bowl. Day after the Super Bowl. Well, day after the Super Bowl, you still have basketball and hockey and stuff like that. That's I mean, true. This is Last night, there's literally nothing. Um, that is true. The, uh, um, yeah, it's a, but uh, I guess you could go watch uh, maybe the minor leagues or somebody, but, um, you know, it... it, it we have Lou. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm sorry. I was uh, disrupted. How are you this morning? Um, well, you have to go out and shoot like a cougar or something in your backyard? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we're not talking about a 55-year-old woman either. No. No, no. Uh, I, I think I told you I had, uh, I had actually had four, four mountain lions, a mom and, and three cubs up in, our, uh, up in our patio at the House in the Mountains uh, about a year ago. So, no, I, uh, they're here. <laughs> What'd you do with them? Just let them walk through? Well, I saw them on the security camera. I wasn't there. Thank God. Yeah, no, you don't. You don't do anything. You, uh, especially if it's a, a a mom and cubs, you you keep you keep out of the way. How big are those boys? Um, girls. The males. The males can get over you know over a hundred pounds. The females probably. 70 between 70 and uh and 90 the cubs were the cubs were small they were they were probably 25 30 pounds so they're uh how big how big is a bobcat what are they like 30 pounds 35 yeah yeah they're they're and 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 we have we have bobcats uh up there but uh yeah the the Regard you don't mess you don't mess with wildlife no. regardless of size. <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> you don't mess with you don't mess with bears. You don't mess with moose. We just had a we had a moose go after somebody on one of the trails near uh, near our house up there. Um, you don't you don't mess with moose. You don't mess with bobcats. You don't you don't taunt coyotes. You know, and if you're in Yellowstone National Park, you don't try to ride the buffalo. No, no, it's not a good idea. <laughs> What's um? I mean, I, just a just a curiosity question. When I was up in uh, last time I was up in Steamboat, and I knew one of the people who lived there. I saw a, a bunch of uh, these foxes, and they're they're sort of they're beautiful animals, and they're they're kind of all over the place. And yet, my friend up there said they don't have a whole lot of coyotes. Is, is it either like the foxes are win or the coyotes win or what? Now, in forest preserves <coughs> here in uh, Cook County, it's all coyotes, and you never see a fox. Um. We have we have foxes again up at the up at the mountain house, um, and there are coyotes that uh, or coyotes that that are in the in the hills. You'll hear them sometimes, but um, generally, you know, canines, foxes, wolves, coyotes, they tend to push out other canines. So if, if you have coyotes that are that are common or, or flourishing in, in one spot. Uh, they will drive out foxes. If you have wolves, and I know this from my time in Minnesota, if you have wolves, uh, they will they will suppress coyotes and, uh, and and drive out the you know drive out other animals. That that's one of the reasons why. Um, in for example, we, we live when I lived in in uh, Western Springs. Our house was near a, a big forest preserve, and 
the coyotes operated in that area, they were all over the place. Well, they would kill. They would kill dogs. Any any dogs that they came across, they would they would kill them. And um, so, for, for canines like that, they they drive out. They drive out all of their all of their canines, and they they will hunt uh, other canines, especially especially uh, domesticated dogs. The coyotes and wolves will hunt them to uh, to drive them drive them away. Foxes tend to be, you know, they're not they're not as big, um, but but they will if they if they can. I've heard of cases where foxes, if they if they come into sort of domesticated areas, if there are dogs there, they'll they'll go after them. Yeah, the uh, I mean, Audrey's got a she's got a, a fence. So you have to worry about that so much. But they're not. I don't know the, the if they can really a coyote can generally take on like a shepherd or anything, but they're. There's certainly a few coyotes might. I read this story about some guy from North Shore that had a, a Jack Russell, and somehow a coyote got in, in the yard like by himself. Evidently, he had more than he could handle with that Jack Russell. <laughs> he had no idea the little guy was that feisty, but he couldn't wait to get out of there, evidently. Um, well, you know, terriers, terriers were bred for for fighting and killing. I mean, you know, terriers, terriers were bred to go after badgers. And, and you know, they're uh, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, wolves that would back off before they would take on a badger. Um, so, yeah, some of those breeds, some of those dog breeds, are perfectly capable of of handling themselves against uh, against wild animals. The the Pyrenees, the Great Pyrenees, um, those were those were actually bred to look like sheep, so that um, you know when they were just laying down, if a, if a a mountain wolf or predator was coming into a, a herd of sheep in the in the mountains in France. Uh, they would they would find themselves confronted by a very large, very powerful dog that could that could actually kill them. So, well, they uh, Audrey of course drags me out to this alpaca farm way out west, kind of either further west than when we went to. Where did we go that one time where they had the uh, all the trees? Um, Anyway, it was, it was way west, over the Fox River, I think. And uh, they, the Pyrene- Great Pyrenees are they're, they're great. They call them flock guards. Yes. Because alpacas, you know, listen, man, they refuse to be herded, so you can't you can't have a collie or a shepherd that wants to keep everybody exactly where they want them. Uh, Pyrenees don't care where you stand; they just they're just your buddy and protect the place. They don't want to they don't want to hurt anybody. So you can only have Pyrenees, and there's like one other breed that. Are flock guards for these things because they just they hang there and, and and mess with the coyotes and keep them away from them. Or you could let the males in there, but the males are such a pain in the ass. You don't want the male. The males will. Or you know you you get a you get a guard llama because nobody will mess with a llama. I've heard that. I've heard that llamas are tough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we got all kinds I of mean, stuff I going. Mean, on. I mean, I mean, you can't, you can't, you could think if you've ever seen a herding dog in operation, like a like a. Uh, you know, at one of the border collies or something like that, and watch them fly around. You realize that a dog the size of a, of a Great Pyrenees is not going to run like that. No, and not going to not going to move like that. So, but they would. I, I wanted to. Yeah, go ahead. I wanted to give you a quick U- Ukraine update if you're yes, interested. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it appears that the Russians have basically exhausted their their forces in in taking um, 
you know, big chunks of the Donbass region and trying to consolidate their, their hold there. Um, the, uh, they're, they're, they're taking what's referred to as an operational pause to, uh, to refit and, and rest their, rest their people. Um, they have also changed their targeting for, uh, for some of their missile strikes and long range strikes in an effort basically to just sort of keep a, a low level of, of terror and fear in, uh, in, in the overall Ukraine populace. Um, one of the things that has caused them to, to stop and is actually making it, um, you know, so, so the, the initial move, as we talked about, was, was a, a lightning move by Russian special forces and, and military to try to topple the Ukrainian government. That fell apart. They tried to take Kiev. They couldn't. Their logistical chain was, was poor, and, and their supply lines were overextended. So they backed off of trying to come at Kiev from the north. Uh, they then were moved on trying to consolidate their, their holds in the south that they had taken in 20, or in the east that they had taken in 2014. They, they did this by, um, using more typical Soviet and Russian for, uh, tactics, which is to move until you reach contact with the enemy and then bombard the enemy's positions with thousands of artillery rounds until, until you've killed or, or disrupted everybody there and then and then move, um, move the, uh, you know, move their forces in. So they were doing that for a while. The Ukrainians, who have shown a, a lot of tactical um, adeptness, uh, began, you know, picking their battles. They would fall back because they don't have the, they don't have the resources to, to engage in artillery duels with. With the Russians, they don't have the same amount of artillery. They don't have the same amount of, of uh, same number of forces. So they gave up ground grudgingly. They forced the Russians to, to expend a lot of energy, and then our long-range artillery pieces from the west started arriving. Um, things like these rocket—they're uh, called they're, uh, multiple launch rocket systems. They're they're referred to with a with a um, acronym HIMARS. And, and MLRS, well, these things moved. We, we, we sent them, I think, uh, 10 or 15 of these systems. So these systems start arriving, and what, what happens when you get these multiple launch rocket systems in place is now you give the Ukrainians the ability to strike targets as far as, you know, 60 miles, you know, 50, 60 miles away from the launch sites. Lord, these things that look like a, they look almost like right. a, these are things that look almost like a garbage truck where you, you bring the back end up and you fire yes. about 30 of them off the things? Yeah, and and the, the big difference is that unlike the unlike the basic artillery that the Ukrainians were firing, the, launch, the rocket launchers are very accurate. They're, they're, each rocket is, is separately guided. Um, they can be dropped or, or equipped with a variety of, of munition types um, they can they can have a, a single high explosive warhead. They can scatter bomblets over a wide area. Um, it, it they're very they're very effective, and and so the Ukrainians move these things forward. Now, one of the things the Russians have not dealt with, uh, among many things they haven't dealt with, is communication security, and so 
their comm, their communication systems are terrible, and and they've been using their own cell phones to call back and forth and talk to each other, and and their their radio discipline is lousy. Well, I don't know what the Ukrainians have in terms of cell phone intercept capability, but we can easily intercept those things, and we have aircraft and drones up in Ukraine that are assisting, and we can intercept that stuff from a long way away. So, to the to the extent that the you know that somebody referred to the Ukrainian command front command teams as very chatty, um, they talk a lot, and and we have the ability and we can pass this intel to the Ukrainians, we have the ability to mark those spots with a fair amount of accuracy, you know, like down to a tenth of a mile and inside that in some cases. So you will have these forward deployed headquarters where these these generals and their colonels are chatting away on cell phones and and radios in in the open, not using using good ComSec communication security. Um, one of the one of our aircraft or a drone that we, we, the Ukrainians have or some other spotter picks this up, and then you know within within a matter of minutes, if there's a if there's one of these rock, multiple launch rocket systems within range, and and remember the, the Russians forward deploy their these, these command headquarter units. If there's one of these one of these systems within range, you know three or four rockets are sent in this direction, loaded with one of these. Uh, bomblet payloads and then and then you know a couple of more go in maybe with a high explosive payload and you obliterate the headquarters and you kill I mean the, the, the um, there's a report last week that an entire headquarters group from the commander down to the individual you know battalion level commanders and all their support people was 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 completely uh, wiped out by uh, by an NLRS strike. So that, that's one thing that's, that's affecting them. The second thing that's affecting them is that the, the Russians have, throughout the eastern part of Ukraine, they, they captured and, and um, they've deployed a number of ammunition dumps because, the, again, the Russians' logistics systems are not, are not well developed. So, so they have to move all this ammunition in, their artillery rounds and, and, and others, by train, and then and then they offload the um, the trains in these huge wooden crates onto trucks, and then the trucks typically move forward to the to the forward positions, and then they build up these these big stocks of ammunition forward deployed so that they can they don't have to um, they don't have to do a lot of movement to keep their artillery pieces uh, in play. The Ukrainians have lots of people wandering around in, in eastern Ukraine who are more than happy to send an email to some site saying, oh yeah, there's an ammunition dump and it's in this neighborhood. And it's at the corner of, you know, Oak and Elm Streets in, in you know, Lvyansk or someplace. And the Ukrainians will, will take that information. They might call us ask us if we've got a satellite photo of this. Once they confirm it, once that ammunition dumps in place, and these are all forward located, they will shoot one of these long-range rockets into, into the middle of it. And, and if you've been following Ukraine uh, military channels, and, and I do, 
uh, you see, you've been seeing, you know, one picture after another of these ammunition dumps exploding. Um, you know, fires going up and everything else, and, and not just not just ammunition dumps. They, they've been the the Ukrainian underground will or, or intelligence networks will will identify trains carrying this stuff. And if you can hit the train while it's while it's parked at some depot somewhere in some marshalling yard and destroy it there, you not only destroy the ammunition, you destroy the train tracks, you destroy the rail cars. And so the Ukrainians have been have been using these people talk about talking about these systems as game changers. I don't know I don't think that's true, but but they are definitely tactic changers and they are being used very adeptly. By, uh, by the Ukrainian army to to make make it very difficult for the Russians to fight the way they want to fight. Uh, well, the only yeah, any any ammunition stock that they set up, and then they the we talked about this about uh, two weeks ago that the the Russians are using up in about three weeks the functional equivalent of our entire uh, ordnance production for a year. You know that to give you an idea of the intensity of these artillery bombardments. Um, so we are, um, we're watching and providing uh, information and, and equipment that's, that the Ukrainians are adapting very, very easily to, uh, to, to, again, make it very difficult for the Russians to fight the way they want to fight, to, to upset their ability to command and control their forces. And, and one other you know, issue that I, I think is, is noteworthy to me as a former Air Force guy the Russian, the Russian Air Force has has simply not been effective, and they have they have not utilized this tremendous numerical superiority that they have in, in aircraft and equipment. What they've been using their Air Force for is is you know dropping iron bombs in areas where they have absolute air superiority, which means right not very far in from the front, and for shooting uh, long range missiles. To, to attack what they consider to be strategic targets. Now, again, we think that the, the estimates that I've been reading are that the, the Russians have effectively exhausted most of their precision-guided munitions, uh, at least to the extent that they're that they're willing to use them. We, I'm sure they're holding some in reserve, but you know they're they're firing off they're firing off missiles that that would. You know, being de- designed and developed back in the '60s, and and they just don't have the accuracy. They don't have the they don't have the capability that their their precision guided stuff well, how, does. How are we when they do? Sorry, go ahead. But when you say, uh, well, I mean, it's obvious what you're saying is is, is is it's true, right? But when you when you when you blow up a rail yard, you're blowing up your own rail yard, right? Well, the rail yards—the rail yards that they are hitting right now—are are in are in uh, Russian-occupied Eastern Ukraine that, that was been occupied since 2014. Okay. So, so they've they've effectively lost these are areas that they had effectively lost control of. Okay. And and you know even though it's their own their own rail yard to the extent that they are hitting recently occupied facilities, I mean. Their their position is look we're ha- we'll be happy to rebuild those things later if we can kill a bunch of Russians and, and destroy a bunch of their equipment. So now, how, how, what is the do. what is the logistics train? I got two questions here. What, what is the now I, I've seen those things on of course TV and YouTube. Now what you know those uh, 
you know, all of a sudden the thing goes up like it's a dump truck, but instead of dirt coming out the bottom, missiles go flying off the top. Um, I mean, some of them look like they have like 20 of them on there. I mean, it's probably not that many, maybe like 12, but uh, how the hell do we get one of those things from here to there? I mean, to that, I mean, how do we resupply? Those things, you could shoot off a dozen of those things in like two minutes. Oh, well, the, the vehicles themselves were transported either by ship or by aircraft. The, the smaller HIMARS can be actually be put on an airplane. Okay, but and, I mean, so uh, we get this, and, and somehow we get, so where, where exactly do we, do we, do we dock this ship and how do we get it, get it to the place? And how do we get the, how do we, well, how do we and how do we get missiles there to fill up the 12 they just shot? I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a, I'm very curious. It's kind of a logistical nightmare, isn't it? Well, Yes, but frankly, chief, this is what we're really good at. Well, I know, but I mean, no. but where we can we still <laughs> land? And I mean, I guess the, the follow-up question is: Are we ballsy enough? Are we landing U.S. planes in Ukraine, and and or are we no. landing them somewhere else? And I don't think we're helping to that extent. Are we? We're, we're landing, you know, C one thirties and off off in these things. I mean, are we are we landing them in Poland no. or sneaking across the border or what? Well, we're landing them. We're landing them in Poland or in, uh, well, mainly Poland, but uh, or one of the other NATO countries, and then rail shipping them from there across the Ukrainian border. And the the Russians have not. I mean, this is a very interesting game. This, this is very much reminiscent of what was happening in Vietnam in the in the sixties when when we knew that the Russians were shipping uh, surface to air missiles and and heavy military equipment directly into Haiphong, the, the major, major North Vietnamese port. But we were not cleared to attack uh, anything in the harbor for a long time because we were afraid that if we sunk a Russian ship, we would, we would have problems. So the Russians are being very careful. They're, they've targeted some rail lines in western Ukraine in an effort to try to disrupt us. But they have not, and this this goes back again to the fact that we think they may have run out of precision guided munitions. They have not undertaken the kind of attack on Ukrainian transport infrastructure that would that would indicate that that they have the ability to shut this kind of stuff down. We are not landing, to my knowledge, we are not landing, you know, U.S. troop transport C-17s directly in Ukraine. That would be an invitation for the Russians to shoot those aircraft down, which I think I think they would try to do. It would also be an invitation for them to attack the NATO airfields from where those aircraft originated. And so everybody is kind of looking around saying, yeah, we know this is going on, but the cost of the cost of doing what it would take to shut down that pipeline is is either too high in terms of what we would have the, the munitions we would have to expend to do it or too risky in that you know if we attack if we attack a NATO airbase uh, if we attack a NATO rail yard if we get too close to the Ukrainian border with our aircraft and and inadvertently shoot up a, a NATO facility on the other side of the border um, we run a risk of, of bringing NATO into direct conflict, and 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 I think, you know, one of the one of the neat, sort of interesting things about this is that the I would say if I was a Russian leader 
civilian leader like Putin or his immediate staff, my confidence in the ability of the military to execute what I want them to do has been has been waning. Well, let's talk about let's carry this over to after break. Let's be futures down six. As I features up one, so we're pausing here. We paused yesterday a little bit, but then we went, went straight up. Uh, we'll be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Amos, Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures down 750. NASDAQ Futures unchanged. Unchanged, yeah, that's unreal. Dow Futures down 68. Um, we have, uh, well, we're going to go over to Europe here in a second. There we go. DAX down 57.4%. FTSE down 32.4%. Heck around up six, call that flat. So a little bit down over in Europe, not much. Uh, Asia, uh, Nikkei up 122.4%. Shanghai down 32. Uh, that's almost a whole percent. Uh, 0.99, I guess that's a whole percent. Hang Seng, this thing is, again, every day I say this, but every day it's, it's true. They're down 315, they're down 1.5%, 20,574 is the, the rocket show continues between like 20,100 and 21,500. Never breaks out of there, but it just is wild and within that range. Uh, yesterday, uh, Dow Jones is only up 47, compared to the day before, it was up like 700. S&P up 23. Uh, but the NASDAQ was up another 184, so the NASDAQ's been high. That's 1.6%. Uh, bonds up two basis points, but we're back over three, 3.06. Uh, the bond positive 0.03, 1.29. Japan unchanged at 0.24. We've got oil uh, down 385, back under 100 hours, 96.03. That's a big move. That's almost 4%. 
Uh, Brent down 390 on uh, to 103.02. Natural gas down 28 cents, 7.72. Arbob down 18 cents to 308. So the Midwest, we're paying 550. There ought to be an investigation, as everybody says. Uh, but there definitely ought to be. Uh, we have. Um, Oh, I just knocked myself off my page by pounding on the desk. We have crypto, uh, 22,606 down 1,064, but still fairly comfortably over to 20,000. Though everybody's watching, making sure nobody, nobody has to go out and do any uh, uh, margin selling. Gold down another 19 bucks, 1680. Even though we're gonna stop gold exports from Russia, we still can't. Nobody wants any gold. Silver down 45 cents, 1821. Gold hits a one-year low. It's gone straight down the whole way, and the dollar. Which we've just started to give, uh, where it's 1.018 euro, which is actually up a hair from, well, it ducked under one for maybe a minute on, it was like last Friday's show. And then, it, but now it's been over one ever since, but barely. Maybe we got force traffic weather sports. And what's going on in baseball? You didn't give us our, our Monday report, our half year report. Yeah, I can do that now. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We're off to a good start on the area expressways, roadways, and tollways. No delays on the Edens or Kennedy yet. Traffic starting to build on the Eisenhower and Stevenson, but no accidents to report. Dan Ryan, I-57, and the Bishop Ford are looking good, as is Lakeshore Drive. So off to a good start with no crashes in the area, although if you can hear the sirens in the background, something's going on uh, here uh, downtown. Off the expressways, uh, we have a crash on Route 53, northbound side at Lake Cook Road. That's in the northern suburbs. And then down on the south side, there's a crash at 130th Street, uh, right at the Bishop Ford uh, Expressway. Everything else looking good out there. Weather today, a hot and steamy day with a chance of some midday showers. Uh, a high of 93 today, but it'll be uh, hot and humid, and it's going to be like that uh, through the weekend. Uh, so typical uh, July weather for us here in Chicago. Right now it is clear and 73 degrees, going up to a high of 93. For our Phoenix listeners, hot down there as well. Right now it's clear and 95, going up to a partly cloudy 112 today. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, a, that's a hot one, even, even for those guys. In sports, uh, last night considered to be the slowest sports night of the year. The day after the MLB All-Star Game, there is no other uh, major sports in action with the uh, NBA, NFL, and hockey all in their off-seasons and the MLB taking a break uh, before starting the second half of their year. So uh, nothing going on. So we'll look ahead to uh, the MLB restarting, which it restarts partially tonight, but the Cubs and White Sox and Diamondbacks, the three teams that we track on this show, uh, don't uh, start until tomorrow. Cubs will be in Philadelphia uh, to take on the Phillies to begin their second half. The White Sox, after taking three of four in Minnesota right before the break to get back into it, uh, will host Cleveland, another big division uh, rival who's ahead of them in the standings currently. Uh, Diamondbacks will host Washington. So a look at the standings as we get ready to, to uh, uh, start the second half. White Sox 46-46, and 46, Chief. They got back to 500 with that... Uh, Seven out of their last ten uh, wins before the break, including three of the four up in Minnesota, which was that huge series, uh, kind of a make-or-break series. They're three back of the Twins in the Central, uh, one back of Cleveland, who's in second place, but they're just two back in the loss column from Minnesota. So uh, they can have a good week here and, and really kind of flip those standings. Cubs and Diamondbacks are both out of it. Cubs just horrendous, 35-57. and 57. They finished losing nine of their last ten. Uh, before the break, they're 14 and a half out uh, of Milwaukee, and a lot of rumors uh, surrounding the fact that they're going to trade not only Wilson Contreras, their all-star starting catcher, but probably some relievers and maybe even Ian Happ. We'll see how that all breaks down in the next two weeks before the deadline. 
Diamondbacks are 40 and 52. They're in last place in the NL West, 21 back of the Dodgers. Chief. When uh, Ricketts bought the Cubs, even though they had early success, well, first they, they had a few really crummy years. They and tanked I, for three years. Which got rid of my tickets. Uh, yeah, they tanked for three-plus years. Then they and, and, and as they were doing that, brought in the uh, Theo Epstein regime on the baseball side. Had them revamp the whole minor leagues, which they did successfully. Had them, uh, once they did that, then they were able to supplement some free agent signings. And then they had the best run in Cubs history from 15 to really 2020, where they made the playoffs, you know, every year except one during those six seasons they had three nlcs trips one world series trip and one world series championship since then they've been the worst team one of the worst teams in baseball for two years in a row i uh i said when we started out the guy's gonna get all he can out of the city he's gonna be one of the worst owners ever i hope i don't i'm not, I'm not right but i just well it depends on how you look at it so i i think that they are one of the worst ownership groups in baseball H- however they also presided over the the best five six year run in cubs history or at least modern history certainly the last hundred years uh and uh so that's the positive the negative is that wrigleyville is a shell of what it once was as far as i'm concerned it's it's just a corporate strip mall now around the stadium and and that sucks and i know some people like it for families and stuff like that but it's it used to have so much charm and uh uh you know i i individuality among among neighborhoods where you had all these eclectic sort of bars and restaurants and coffee shops and people around this iconic ballpark and it made for a really cool sort of setting on game day and now it's just like every other baseball area not every other but you know it's a big strip mall with a bunch of family stuff and uh, it's very sanitized and very chain and uh i don't know kind of sucks Meanwhile, they jacked up the prices uh, to the second highest ticket prices in all of baseball, only behind Boston. They clearly were following the Boston model because they've done the same thing at Fenway. And uh, and now they're 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 not spending money. So I'd be fine with most of those things if they kept spending money like they did during the five six year run. Um, but um, but they stopped spending money too. So I don't I don't know what's going on. Was well, this a um, little, please opine on this being in the, your agency? Is this, is this like the Chicago model? It's not, it almost started with the, I'm going to say it started with the Bulls, that they had a, a whole bunch of, of uh, they had huge success, obviously, with the six titles when Jordan and the gang were here. But I think the, the, the years after that where they didn't pay anybody and the ticket prices stayed right where they were and, they, and, the, and the corporate people and the people with the tickets were really slow to dump on them. I, I'm going to say they made... The three years after all those guys retired, they made twice as much money as the ten years before. And it, it, the Blackhawks have done the same thing. The Bears sort of have done the same thing. Although the Bears are only eight, you know, only eight games, and you, they, no matter what you do, they're going to have people there. But now the Hawks are, or the Cubs are the same thing. I mean, can you imagine the money they're making this year? Paying what's their salary? It's got to be one of the bottom 10. Yeah, they're 15th in payroll right now, so they're well, middle, you, middle of the pack. Well, if you got rid of Haywood... Once Haywood is gone, that's yeah. going to make a big difference, because he's paid an astronomical amount of money for a guy that is just awful. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it just it's sort I, of... I mean, what, one of the things one of the things that, that I will never forget when I, when I started my work as an NFL agent back in the uh, early 90s, when the new collective bargaining agreement got signed, the first the first post Reggie White uh, collective bargaining agreement, which which basically you know there was a 
there was a, a threat to by the union to uh, to disband to bring the antitrust action against the NFL and back in the '93. Anyway, the, the first collective bargaining agreement comes back comes into place around '93, and and I attend my first agent meeting under the new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, these were held in Indianapolis around the, the, the as the combine was was getting started in in terms of testing people out, and one of the uh, one of the union people. Said, stood up and said, look, here's what's going to happen in this collective bargaining agreement. To the extent that we've put a salary cap in place, this is going to really start to separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of management ability, in terms of football smarts, and in terms of the ability of, um, of, of clubs to hide behind some facade of of getting lucky when they they draft one or two players and then hang on to those guys forever, uh, you're going to have to you're going to have to be be clever and you're going to have to be clever every season and every year because because you're going to be rebuilding and restructuring and it's going to be a continual process and the teams that are smart about this and that have smart people that understand this process are going to flourish and the teams that don't are going to drown. And I remember listening to that and thinking, huh, I wonder if this guy that's just taken over the Redskins, because Jack Kent Cook had passed away, uh, passed away, and, and his estate had, had sold the team. I wonder if the guy taking over the Redskins is gonna, is gonna, um, you know, prove himself one way or the other. Of course, that was, that was Snyder. Um, now that wasn't in 93, it was a, a year or two later, I think, is when he bought the club, but, but that, I remember thinking of that and, and, and matching those two, you know, matching those two up, and um, it it really does. As as this is, I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why you see soft such soft salary caps in baseball and in um, and in, in uh, basketball, because the ownership realizes that that these things are basically exposure mechanisms. Um, I, I I think. Uh, the management of, of these clubs, even with soft salary caps in place, is difficult. And unless unless you've got a, a smart you know a smart team around you, you're not going to be able to to compete with the big with the big market clubs. For the life of me, I don't understand why baseball ownership, which has proven itself perfectly willing to take a strike on, I don't understand why baseball management has not pushed. For a salary cap, a hard salary cap. That's anathema to the players' union, and and they they fought it. They fought it every year. But um, you know, Scott Scott Boris and his people have been leading the charge on that. But if I was if I was the ownership, I would be I would be sitting down and and looking to structure uh, a hard a hard cap that that would. Scatter the talent in the league a little bit more. That would make it very difficult for places like New York or LA to simply buy, you know, buy championship teams. Lou, um, I, I don't have a. I, I come at it. it. I mean, I, from a competitive standpoint, you might be right, but I, I, I have, I have, I want, I want a ticket price cap. I, I don't want be paying three hundred dollars a seat at the Hawks and go, gee, I just had to trade away the team. I'm really sorry. Uh, because I couldn't pay these guys more, but by the way, give me your check. I mean, come on, there's not there's not evenness across the board there. 
No, no, there's not. And 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 the other the other factor, and this is, you know, this is something that that I've observed. I observed in my my business clients when I was uh, practicing at Big Law, and and I observed to a certain extent. Now. Hey, hey, move to a different spot. Yeah. Move to a different spot in the room. Will you? We're losing you. Oh, is it getting is it getting any better now? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Teams, teams that are successful, industries that are successful, and, and these sports leagues tend to be really successful. You know, coming to them and saying you're being stupid and you're not you're not delivering a, a good fan experience, um, they turn around and say, "Well, we're making money hand over fist. Why should we? Why should, we're smart. You're, yeah. you're not. Yeah. And and uh, you know, we don't need to. We don't need to listen to you. Um, this this happens throughout." Industry and and I mean this kind of hubris is is unfortunately a, a, a huge part of American capitalism and, and not just American capitalism, Western capitalism. So so to go to these clubs and, and tell them you people are being managed by fools, they just simply respond, yeah, we made you know we made a hundred million dollars last year. Well, so it's, like, it's like it's like telling them when I was at Notre Dame for my last reunion, I said. You know, you guys are uh, you're pricing people out of business, and the guy goes, "What are you talking about? We got five more applications for every spot we have." You know, we're doing right. what we're doing is right. Hey, I got a couple of questions for you. One is, uh, are we? I'm not saying I'm not criticizing anything here, but are, do we have people that are that are gleefully looking at this Ukrainian war as the latest Spanish-American war to try out all our new toys? Oh, I'm sure there's some of that. Um, I mean, I mean, I think it's I think it's more likely that you've got a number of of manufacturers who are are picking the phone up and, and talking to each other and saying that weapon system worked exactly the way we, were, we we thought it was going to. That that weapon system did exactly what what we thought it was going to, and they're probably being very they're probably very happy about that. Um, the guys that are that are really benefiting from this because this is the much like the Spanish-American War, or much like the Spanish Civil War, this is is a test, one of the one of the first real tests of advanced weaponry on advanced weaponry. So, so the Russians have not thrown, you know, their their front front line, top of the line stuff in there yet. We haven't seen Armada and Armada tank rolling out there. Um, and so there, there, there'll be some question about uh, weapons effectiveness against that kind of stuff, but they're they're putting a lot of their frontline stuff in place, and and what the Ukrainians are are you know doing with our uh, technology is is giving us a pretty good picture of how these modern smart weapon systems we see are going to work against uh, against equally competent you know weapon systems that were. Ostensibly designed to defeat them. So the T ninety tank, which is probably the the best tank that the Russians have produced in mass uh, in the last uh, two decades, is supposedly equipped with all kinds of armor that uh, is, is designed to defeat smart, you know, smart anti tank weapons like the Javelin or the NGAS, NGAWS, and and the the short. The short answer is that, that the Ukrainians have been demonstrating a, a, that it's very hard if you're a tank on a modern battlefield and the other side's got a lot of these things, got a lot of uh, 
of smart anti-tank weapons, it's very hard for you to have a, a, a serious push without the kind of combined arms doctrine that we've been we've been saying for for a while, and that really came about in the in the '73 war in, in uh, between Egypt and Israel, where where the realization was that you now had individual soldiers who were capable of killing tanks and killing them at a distance. And so you could not just send tanks or light-armored vehicles or armored personnel carriers into a region by themselves. You have to have dismounted infantry to, to move with the, with the tanks and with the armored vehicles. Otherwise, they're going to get destroyed. Um, it, it reinforces the idea of communication security. If, if you don't have good ComSec, you are exposing your unit to instant destruction by one of the, you know, a HIMARS or, or, or smart weapon system. And, you know, we've, we've moved, the, the Russians have stayed with the idea of en masse artillery bombardment as a, as a tactic. We've moved away from that. We've moved toward, again, the idea that you don't have to fire 200 or 300 artillery rounds and walk them onto a target if you can identify the target. Our, our position is we can fire two missiles that, that can take each one can take out the area an area the size of a football field with with submunitions and and if we fire two of those and have a, a 95% kill uh, effectiveness on a the target then then that's a lot better and a lot more cost effective for us than firing you know 500 artillery rounds so so you're, you're seeing a validation not just of the weapon systems but of, of certain tactics and certain tactical uh, you know, considerations and, and, and uh, thought processes, if I can use that term, in, in, in terms of, you know, how we've prepared to fight and how we have, have you know, prepared to equip our, equip our forces. And, and trust me, the Russians are doing the same thing. They're, they're, they're learning lessons. Whether they're going to be able to apply them in a force that was pretty corrupt and, and pretty, pretty poorly organized, is a is another story. I mean, I mean, one of the big stories that, that again, I say this as an Air Force guy, is that that their Air Force has has just not done what it was supposed to do, or to, what we thought it would be prepared to do in a in a major conflict. They should be they have they have, they have you know I won't say total air superiority, but they've got air superiority over the battlefield, and, and and they could they could push it if they want to. They they just don't. They don't want to fly high-end aircraft into that into that battle zone. I think they're afraid of losing them. It may reflect the fact that they can't produce very many of them, and so they're very very high value. But you know, this is the this is what I call the the carrier battle group syndrome, where you build this marvelous carrier battle group, and the doggone thing is so expensive, and you have so few of them that you, you you're afraid to risk it. Well, hey, uh, shift gears for just a second. Uh, we've been talking. I, you know, obviously, depending on the people you talk to or about, uh, whether they're left, right, or they always pick on one side of the aisle or the other. Uh, we have, I think, countrywide, little somewhat of a, uh, a little bit of a disrespect for some of our our, our leaders, our legislative and otherwise. And uh, I'm going to say that in the last. Six to twelve. Why months. would you? Why would you say that, Chief? Well, I'm saying we're doing based on the based on on the fact that I, I, you know, I and others like me have, and 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 on the fact that the New York Times and the Washington Post are now finally waking up to to what we have uh, have elected as a president. 
Well, what I, what I'm, where I'm going with this is uh, lately they seem, and it seems to really be coming to a head with this latest semiconductor bill, where it seems to be obvious, to, at least seems to be obvious to me, that there actual are companies being named in the bill who's getting what and where. And we have people, and of course, everybody on the right will point to Pelosi's husband, who's buying 5 million shares of NVIDIA, which is now up, you know, 15, 20 bucks since he bought it. Uh, you know, and I, but still, if you look at all the lists, like I have a list here today from, uh, well, somebody sent me 66 members of Congress that have, uh, you know, that are buying stocks and 107, you know, they're late in disclosing 130 stock trades. I mean, this is the, you got your buddies, your buddies like Tuberville. I mean, the whole the whole top ten is is rife with Republicans and as well as Democrats. So the idea that it's it's only Nancy Pelosi's husband is is ignorant. But the uh, but again, I can't stand the guy. But the point being is, I think these guys. I don't. I don't. I've never seen the disdain and the, the people that I hang around with for people, especially traders, where these idiots are trading on this information and nobody else has it. For, in my group, I've never seen these people held in lower esteem in the last six months because of this issue. It seems to be get, getting worse and worse and worse. And I, 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 if I, my advice to them is, you guys better stop doing this because everybody thinks not only now that you're you're somewhat ignorant to what's going on in the world, now you're an out and out crook. And I, I, I don't know that a, a body like that needs to do that. And I, can't somebody tell these people to straighten up? Uh, I, th- I think so. So what we're looking at is, is the first kind of glimmerings of a vote for industrial policy, if I can use that term. You know, we we we've, we've traditionally done this in in certain circumstances. This is the first time I've seen something like this pushed in an intelligent way uh, or a national way on on a, a crucial. You know, a, a crucial piece of infrastructure, which is is chip making. Um, I, I can't remember what the number is, but it's some gigantic percentage, like forty or fifty percent of the chips in the world come out of Taiwan. Oh yeah, it's, I think it's more than that. How, how, how on earth? How on earth did we let that happen? You what know, do you mean? We, I, have, I mean, we have we have to the extent that how do we let all well, your generic drugs go overseas? So, I mean, it, just just yeah. rattle them off. I mean, it, I mean, well, uh, I mean, I mean, this is this is just. Drug drugs, you know, you can watch the market with with go with drugs, but but the idea that our chip, you know, chip manufacturing, which is a strategic defense issue, somehow was was allowed to migrate out of the company, and we did not maintain a defense industrial base for that. Okay, okay but we, we had did not we have not maintained a defense industrial base for the manufacture how, how of armored much, vehicles how many, or, or ammunition. But I mean the. It, the, the idea, though, all now, of this, yeah, so, so so what you're seeing now is, is is a move toward industrial policy to try to to try to direct these industries or at least create some U.S. based safe haven for critical industries that we need for for national defense and for national economic well being. And and what I find interesting is that we're willing to do this with you know chips. But we're not willing to do this with with oil. I mean, I mean, what? Lou, you worked. Did, did, right did, did nobody get the memo that that notwithstanding whatever electric car 
model we plan on using, we still have to burn something to generate electricity. Well, there's no, there's no, there's no logic anyway. In the long term, and there's no, there's no. The last thing I want to have happen. And by the way, Trump. I'm not, I'm not, this is not a criticism, but he brought up the, he brought up the idea that that, that we did we, we we lost so many steel companies that we you know we couldn't build another aircraft carrier on stuff if we had to, and I don't know if we we're quite there yet, but but you know he's right. You can't have just the defense industry without without being able to make some steel here if, if you ever get in a war with somebody. I mean, but I mean the last thing I want is is every every you know Pop and Jay Fox to jump up and say his particular industry is now a de- is now crucial to the defense industry and I want money from government. That r- r- goes right into the, the, the Lou Michaels fascist company. And I don't want I don't that, want f- that, that's exactly that's exactly right. I mean I mean and, and that that's what's happened, obviously, with our vaccine and medical uh, situation. What's gonna happen we, in these checks? There's have, gonna be we now have the alliance between Pfizer and some of the other major drug companies and the C D C and the National Institute of Health and and uh the uh, you know the executive branch. We now have those those entities are aligned. Pfizer works hand in glove with the agency that is supposed to regulate it. Well, and you're going to end up whosoever names are in this group. Obviously, Intel they're doing the thing in Ohio. Uh, Nvidia must be in there somewhere because Pelosi's husband bought the stock. I'm going to say AMD. I mean, there's got to be five names in there of, of, of maybe four. Well, Lou, if you and I live to be 120, you're not going to find another producer of chips other than those four. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, and and you know, this obviously there's we're looking at a trade-off here, Chief. You know, the trade-off is is economic vibrancy and and market that that drives this kind of innovation and, and the need to maintain some kind of competitive competitive marketplace where, where these people are going to compete on a level playing field. Assuming they get enough and money the from the government. If you get enough money from the government, I'll compete. Somehow that's a, that, yeah, that well, doesn't compute to me. No, no. I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, so you've got, you've got that on the one side, which, which requires a relatively, a relatively uh, unfettered uh, economic uh, opportunity to, to succeed and fail versus we have to have a, a guaranteed pipeline of a certain product Right. Otherwise, we're we're in big trouble, and you've got to, you're walking a balance. On all right, we well, have to kick this over to next week. But thanks for all the stuff about the Ukraine. Uh, hope our girl Angelica was listening. Um, she keeps sending us stuff, and uh, we'll keep talking about that. We we'll probably get her back on because a lot of stuff's going on in her town. SP futures down four, and Nasdaq futures up fourteen. Now, be right back, Mr. Danjanitas. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. 
Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, and jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. What it is. Hello, everyone. Face stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Allen. Mr. Webber on the board. SP futures up five, Nasdaq down five. I'm sorry, but Nasdaq's up fifteen, so it's heading north like it has the last couple of days. Big moving the chip stuff, having to do a lot with this. Uh, I think with this bill that's coming out is we're we're going to toss fifty billion dollars at these chip companies, which is a lot of dough. Uh, originally it was supposed to be two fifty though, but so the fifty is has come down quite a bit. Dan, how are you, buddy? Doing good. Hey, uh, thank you. Last week uh, we had. Um, a few people that, that uh, jumped into that uh, Pacific Gas and Electric you were talking about, and are pretty happy. Yeah, uh, uh, we yeah it, it's a good, um, it's a good investment. And it was good timing as well. The spread, uh, the the spread on high yield bonds, although PG and E is not a high yield um, bond, but the spread on high yield bonds has um, come in quite a bit over the past week. So credit is, you know, a lot of people looking at credit, especially credit, you know, about names like uh, PG and E. Another one. Um, it's a very similar story. A little bit more yield is ADT, uh, the security company. Again, you know, um, solid company. Uh, pay the the bonds that we've been purchasing are foreign and eights that are due in June on June fifteenth, twenty three. So, less than an eleven month bond giving you close to five percent. You know, a solid company that's you know a pretty good return. So. So yeah, we we think that the bonds are coming back, uh, corporate bonds, and especially if you stay on the short end, you're getting some yield. Um, and uh, the environment seems very favorable right now. Uh, there's definitely a fair amount of interest in this area. So we would not recommend. I would not recommend in this environment going to the lower quality. I would really stay. I'd say across the board, whether you're looking at stocks or or bonds, this is not the time to be taking to be doing a risk on trade. Um, so I would stay with the higher quality, high yield. Um, and investment great names. And what? Uh, uh, still, I mean, you know, you and I, we've we've counseled people. I mean, obviously, you've helped because people believe you want bonds more than they do me, which they should, by the way. Uh, we've counseled people to sort of hang in there the last six months, and you know, I guess some some of the people have, and the people that bought the PG&E stuff have uh, have uh, taken our advice and, and essentially got something for 
where they're, they're getting something for 11 months, and if something's more than they've been getting. Uh, right. But it's it's still, you and I, maybe me more than you, but I, I'm, I'm just ab- abhorrent about what people are getting vis-a-vis the degradation in the, in the, in the money anywhere. I mean, uh, did you see the numbers today about the, uh, the uh, European Union? I think I'm right on this. Where they, they claim that their inflation rate's up to like 8.5 or something. But their PPI is up 32 in a year. I'm going to say that that CPI, whatever they use over there, is wrong. All there's no there's no way you can add. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure that number is, is accurate. I mean, they're just about to to do a rate hike over there now, probably as we're speaking, and and um, they've been very slow. Um, unlike some other companies, I mean, with, forget about Japan. I mean, Japan is is not you know slow isn't even a word to describe Japan when it comes to rate hikes, but. But the EU has been behind some other countries, and and I, I think they're, they they have some unique issues that they still need to work out, both politically um, as well as sort of between countries and the you know when they they look at spreads between countries and all that. So, but overall, yes, the numbers are difficult to to, to understand. Um, we do know, I mean, the, the numbers here too. We do know that. Um, one thing that has happened, and, and it's, it, I think it's somewhat confusing to, it may be somewhat confusing to some listeners, is that we're seeing good earnings coming out of countries, with, I mean, out of companies, and the same thing with, with companies in Europe, and we're seeing um, sort of, you know, a very positive tone to the voice of a lot of the CEOs, but we're also hearing, if you're listening carefully, that there is a contraction. So, in other words, we're doing okay um, we're able to pass our costs along to our customers, um, so we've been able to, you know, uh, produce pretty decent earnings in this period. But at some point, I think that slows down, and in some cases, it may even stop. So as the, you know, as the sort of backdrop of of decent earnings continues in this third quarter, I think we have to keep remembering that the impact, the full impact of the rate hikes, hasn't been felt. And the full impact of demand destruction hasn't been felt yet. So, so there's this, this sort of interim period where there, look, there looks like there's some ideas. And again, we're hearing, I think you make a good point, statistics that are coming out that we have to be very careful of because there's a lot of numbers being thrown around. Some that make, uh, you know, like CPI and PPI came out uh, last week and certainly were not good. Um, that, you know, to show that there still is a fair amount of inflation, and you still see it if you go grocery shopping or if you're looking for anything. So, so there's that is fairly clear. But on some of the other areas like productivity, production, and all of that, I, you know, I think companies are touting um, touting things a little bit too much right now, just because they want to keep earnings high. Well, the I uh, interest high. I we went along talked the other day with Professor Hale, and I don't know how Dan you can. Where they say you don't know whether you're on foot or horseback, I have no idea. Given the uh, well, first of all, our, our PPI. If you were to take just the good side of it, now again, you know, you can't just be splitting these numbers up to to, to push your own argument. But the last several months, I'm going to say the last five that I can remember, the the services side has been either zero or maybe at most yes. a 0.5 percent increase. And the service and the good side, which feeds more into the CPI, has been over two percent for like five months in a row. Well, that's like thirty percent a year, right? And yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean, we're 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 not even. So I don't I don't know how 
like with these airline things or with these other places that have raised prices. So I, I don't, I don't know how you know. I'll be honest, I don't know how the local saloon figures out what they're doing better this year than last year. Everything's up twenty five percent, but I mean the stuff they're buying obviously is costing more. But I don't know if it's that much more. I mean I don't know how much their rent went up. And I, I would say that if you counted the amount of hamburgers they're selling or beers, the amount's down. Even though the revenue is got to be, I don't think the burgers and beers are down twenty five percent. But I, I, I couldn't begin, and this is something I think I studied and be, be good at. I can't begin to tell you the difference between the nominal and the real at this point. And, and people in government don't want to tell you. But if you, if, right. you and, if you and I tried to get to the truth, I don't know if we would get there. Right. No, I, I think I think those are all good points. We're 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 in a we're in a um, an environment where it's really kind of, kind of hard to do that. And the thing is, people like you and I will ask those questions when we're in a public place. You know, like I even asked a. Uh, look, sir, how is it that you've been able to keep the price of this one particular vodka that that I, I I like constant during you know the same period? It was the same price three years ago, and they're saying no. You know, we still see you know there, there are things you know there's other items you know beer and certain certain um, craft beers and that that have really gone up quite a bit, or where they've been able to increase margins. Um, but it, but again, it kind of goes back to that supply and demand. What are people willing to pay? You know, somebody wants to go to your local. Um, pub for a for a, a beer and a, and a burger it's just a lot of times it's just the convenience so they're willing to pay a little bit more and the the owner is able to pass along some of the cost the portions might be slightly smaller i do have a couple of restaurant owners who have told me that as clients that they have um, gone through that process they may be sourcing um their food from other places and that's one other thing that i've noticed um that there are you know people find alternatives when they're, you know, saying, hey, I've been going to the same place over and over again, but by the way, you know, we really should consider a few other options. And when they do, they may come up with, um, you know, some, you know, might be able to save a little bit of money doing that. So, but I agree, yeah, whether, you know, in what, in what dollars are we looking at? And the other thing, too, is that this is moving so quickly. So inflation is, is, is gone up quite a bit in, in, in a, in a very short period of time. In our, we haven't quite had a chance to digest um, the difference, um, and I mean, as individuals, we haven't, and we're still we're still kind of looking around and trying to understand why it's so expensive for certain items, whereas some items haven't gone up as much. And then I think also as a country, I mean, there's still this incredible amount of spending going on right now, which I I do not think is a smart thing in the, at this time. And at some point, it's going to catch up with us. So. Things are looking okay. The you know the, the stock market's been okay the past few weeks, but I do think you know that we're going to be paying for this still sometime. Well, Dan, if you look you look in, at the uh, you look at the stock market of the last four days. Now, granted, uh, we have some covered calls out there for some people, and we're kind of chasing those a little. But but the bottom line is, uh, if we didn't have those calls, we'd have done a little bit better. But we've had three, four really good days in a row for people. I mean, everybody's up. We didn't lose near as much on the way down as everybody else, and we're, we're making it on the way up. Or to be, well, to the extent that people are ever happy, <laughs> they're happy, right? Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I see this. I don't know. Maybe you know what? I, I listen to, to knowledgeable guys like you all week long, and I kind of put it together. And it's you don't want to do that. It'd be dangerous because I see what's happening here, and all of a sudden we're we're, we're right into this. Fed going to sort of pull back, go back to normalcy, and we're kind of in this routine and the. Markets kind of react and not liking it all that much, which you wouldn't expect, right? Uh, because obviously the market was got seriously pumped up in the last couple of years. Well, now all of a sudden, the whole world now has decided we're going back to 
happy days are here again. We're going to pour yeah. we're going to pour fifty billion dollars into the semi business. We're going to have those stocks which have been getting clobbered. All of a sudden, everybody in Congress jumps into them and they're flying up. And oh, by the way, the Fed's going to help us out with the fifty billion dollars, and and they really aren't going to aren't going to start knocking off the balance sheet. They really aren't going to raise these rates. I mean, the idea. I mean, how many all day long? All you hear is how how aggressive the Fed has been and how they're killing us. God's sake, man! We're 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 at a fifteen percent inflation rate. The rates are one and a half. I mean, or wherever the hell they're at. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, I mean, who, I mean, who's kidding who? I mean, we're not even on the same planet here, and yet, yeah. I mean, uh, I, go ahead. I absolutely agree, and, and the, the spokespeople, I think, and and certainly the administration absolutely does not understand, you know, economics one hundred and one, and like like I've been talking about the you know demand destruction and then the substitution for products, very very basic. Um, items. It's not like you can go out there and, and suddenly decide. I had a, I have a, I have a good example of, of being impacted by it personally this week. My the transmission went in my car, and it's 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 a nice car. It's a Mercedes, but they have looked everywhere in, in the country to try to find a replacement and cannot find one that was built in my year um, in 2013. So we we did find a used one, but we're paying twice the price for yeah. a used transmission. And I guess the point of, of mentioning that is that you go into this, uh, now what am I going to do? Am I going to buy another car? You know, would I, do I really trust Mercedes enough to be carrying parts for any new car that I purchase? Or for that matter, what, you know, what other, um, you know, what other type of car would I be buying in this environment? And I'm not, I haven't bought into the electric car thing yet. So, so there's a, but so there's what I would call a substitution effect. You end up going from what you've had and what you've been paying for. To now looking at some point, I'm going to look at something else because it's just not worth the price, or just not worth the aggravation. If I'm going to have to be concerned about issues like replacement parts and things like that, and and that's where I think there hasn't been enough um, education. Um, people are going to have to go through it themselves till they realize, wow, this really is that bad. This, you know, the supply chain really is that bad. There's really, you know. You hear it from your contractors, you hear it from your mechanics, but you, you know, once you experience it personally, say, wow, this is actually, you know, this is a, a difficult situation. And, and it goes all the way down the line. It's, so it's not just, you know, the individual person. It's, there are several people in the, in the meantime that are not getting, uh, not getting their cut of it, if you will. They're not getting it. Same thing. I mean, the obvious thing, like we've talked before, airlines, you know, that they've cut capacity and that, that also cuts, you know, capacity with cruise ships and with with hotels and with with restaurants, and that one's a lot easier to see. But if you start looking at you know the, whether you know whether it has to do with cars or used cars or replacement parts on vehicles, those are those are important items. Those are pretty high up there on the list. Transportation's pretty high up there on the list, unless unless you live in the city um, and can rely on public transportation. That but most of us don't. So so those are and those are big ticket items. So I think we're going to still see some more. Demand destruction. I think we're still going to see some more. Um, I think we're going to see more and more people being, you know, realizing that this inflation issue is not going away, despite a little bit of sell-off in, in uh, oil prices recently. I don't think it's across the board. So, Dan, you're lucky we're dealing with the old Matty Weber, not the young. If it was the young Matty Weber, he would have Joan Baez on there. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just for the record, and I'm not advising anybody on anything. Just for the record, if that were to happen, say in my suburban, my three-quarter ton suburban, 
There's a place in Alsip. I'd, I'd tow it in, and the guy would rebuild my transmission for fifteen hundred bucks. That'd be good as new for another two hundred thousand miles. Yeah. Well, I think I'm sold. I yeah. Mean, I think that's the, the move. I'm, that's where I'm heading. <laughs> you're going to buy an old Chevy Suburban? I'm not recommending well, that. Well, not necessarily an old Chevy Suburban, <laughs> but I but I think um, you know a, a car that's more likely to have a uh, American car that's more likely to have a replacement or even being able to rebuild a rebuild a transmission as an option than. One of my buddies that works for one of the, the big firms here to you know, sends order flow to the floor, or he, he's a Martin their market makers on the floor. One of the three or four left. Uh, poor guy, he takes his bike to work, right? So of course somebody steals his bike, like a couple of weeks ago. He goes home just as somebody runs into his car parked in front of his house. Oh, <laughs> and I got to say, well, he's got a Lexus, and uh, they won't even. It's been three weeks, in the place he's going to take it into. Uh, Get it fixed. Not only are they crowded, they they said don't even bring it in for like another two and a half weeks. We can't get parts and blah blah blah. So you're not the only one, but yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, I know other people who are in the same situation. It's just it's. Um, but this is, I guess, the reason I bring this up is just that these, you know, these aren't like things that happen to you every. Hopefully, aren't things that happen to you every single day. Um, but but they they are out there, and until you actually experience it for yourself, for example, the other good example is if you're looking for a home. Um, if you're looking to do renovation work on a home, um, you don't realize until you're actually out there getting, you know, yeah. looking to get bids, how, just how expensive things have gotten over the past year. So those things are, and and the contractors have been able to pass along those costs right now, but that uh, th- that is that is not going to be able to continue <laughs> too long. Well, to well yeah, as you, know, as, you, <clears throat> as you probably know, Audrey has, uh, she does real estate stuff, and she has a, a couple of guys, guys, a couple of groups of people that will will turn around houses, and that we're not talking about ones that people destroy. We're talking about people that bought them into a house in the '90s, and now you know they die, and they just the house is perfectly fine to live in if you know if you want to. I mean, everything works, but their bathrooms and kitchen and everything, or maybe the windows are 30 years old. So these guys, the, the house will be nobody wants those houses anymore. Young people don't; they want stuff walk right in. So let's uh, let's say uh, the neighborhood. It would call for a three hundred thousand dollar house. The thing's going to go for two twenty, and guys would come in, and the budget would be thirty five grand for them, new kitchen, new bathrooms. I mean, we're not talking about you know gold faucets or anything. And all of a sudden, you turn it around and do all the floors up and paint it. It looks like it's brand new, and they make thirty grand. Well, now that thirty five thousand or forty thousand upgrade, or maybe even fifty, is now pushing a hundred, and they're like, right, exactly. they're like, I can't make any money on this thing. I mean, nobody. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's what you. It's what you. That's taken away a whole market. That's taken away. You know, that's that's going to really. You know, um, that's a, a good example of demand destruction. That, yeah, that people I, will say, I'll, "I'll put that off." Some people were doing the work during the COVID period when they were home, and the prices were increasing during that period. And now they're now that I, I think is um, it's going to be tougher and tougher for for contractors to stay this busy. And there's going to be a point where this all turns, and that I think also hopefully it's going to be the same point where, where more people are getting back to work, back to the labor force, and that's when I think we're going to start seeing some equalization or some, you know, some leveling out of some of the issues because we still have such a mishmash between, I mean, a mismatch, a mismatch between employment um, and certain um, parts of the certain sectors of the economy where there's still there's still a need for certain. Um, uh, employees and, and jobs, you know, lots of job openings, and then we're also starting to see jobs being cut 
um, and other areas uh, like technology. So it's, I think this mismatch needs to come in line before we'll start seeing some stability in price. Well, then we uh, we've talked we've talked a little bit on this uh, savings per family number. In the last two weeks, it's gone down three thousand bucks from twelve two to went down again today, one hundred fifty bucks to nine thousand. How can that be going down that fast? I mean, are people it's just? Amazing. I mean, it's, it's how many families are there in the country? Eighty million. 80, how does eighty million times three thousand dollars in, in four months? That's what's coming out of people's savings. It's guys like you trying to find a new transmission. Basically. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I actually do, I believe that number, or I'd say it's probably fairly close, because I've been wondering how, how is it that people have been able to afford, you know, there's, there's a very large percentage of the population that doesn't have the emergency savings, you know, six months of emergency savings, or, or you know, other, other savings accounts that they can turn to when they have a, when they need, you know, they need something to do something to their car or to their house, but if they just want to make a purchase in general, that's gone. So, and the other ironic thing about the way this happens is when finally you're starting to get paid some interest on that checking account or for keeping something in savings, maybe doing a money market and getting close to 3% or buying some of these short-term bonds, now that now that you're actually getting paid something for it, you don't have as much money to put into it. So that's that's kind of well, the, the, the uh, personal that's debt. The way, that's the way the economy works. <laughs> well, in the last year, savings, this this number got to 55000 whenever it was getting the PPP checks, right? Yes. And uh, the yes. personal yes. debt per citizen was down to like fifty-two. Now it's back up to seventy. So to anybody who thinks that the that individual people are fat and happy here, uh, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. And I think a good another point to to make is that when you're listening to some of the numbers, you know, I'm not saying you personally, but when the listeners out there are listening to some numbers. Find out how recent those numbers are because you can go back a month or two and make things look really good. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You want to have up-to-date numbers. Um, and I know some, some reporters are continuing to talk about uh, numbers that are just a couple months old, but they're, they've changed drastically, and I think you gave a really good example with the savings rate. Well, Dan, what would you I mean? We both, uh, well, you recommended them, and I sold them to people. Uh, the bonds that are 11 months and we ended up getting these things, which is surprising because sometimes we can't get the same price you do. We ended up getting them uh, under a hundred, so we actually were yes. at the four and an eighth number or whatever it was. And uh, I think we—I'm going to say both of us have uh, surrendered and said, "Okay, four percent for eleven months is okay. It's the best you're going to do." Um, but if you if you wanted to go out for two or three years, if you thought this inflation was going to last. What would you what would you want to get? I'd, boy, I'd want to get like ten, but you're not going to get ten anywhere. No, it's and then remember, there's a, there's going to be a, a there's a flattening of the yield curve. So once you get out beyond two years, it starts. Um, you know, the, the 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 comparable treasury rate starts going down. So it's not a you know that's the other thing that you have to get used to in this environment. You actually get paid more on the short end of the curve when we have an inverted yield curve. I would say wait, you know, next week we're going to see another 75 basis point hike. And after that, I think we're going to see some more opportunities in these short corporates. Well, Dan, and then we'll have a nice couple of months to ride them out, you know, to, to hold on to that yield through through the rest of the summer. Well, have we ever, I mean, Europe looks like it's even worse than us, but I, I don't know anywhere, well, again, I don't read every decade going back to God knows when, but um, I don't know anywhere in economic history that I've, certainly not in U.S. history, where if somebody just 
went to the bank and bought like a five-year CD with a million bucks. If this inflation stays the way it is, really in five years he's lost half his wealth. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, these numbers are staggering, and yet, what, what, why, why are just a few of us on the show here? There's a few people elsewhere. Why is name? Why does anybody? Why is people just letting this happen? I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, the bank does take a big, a big chunk of it, and, and you know, um, I know Interactive Brokers who we use has been advertising that with this 75 basis point hike, we're going to see 1.87 percent on a, our uh, idle cash. And you compare that, which is money you can take, you know, as, as liquid as it comes, and you take that and compare it to the one-year CD rate, and you're actually getting more for the to, to, sit, to sit in cash. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say that when rates are this low, because the, the spread is is very small um, on these products, uh, banks are, are um, they have an opportunity to do, do very well in this environment, but it's not advantageous for the for the purchaser of a CD right now. It's not a good time. Dan, we've had some uh, inquiries into the self stuff. You still like those? Is that, is that yes, a, absolutely, yeah. And they've been a little volatile. So so what I would say with self is if you can get it in the lower fives, like certainly less than five and a half, and then ride it up. So, um, it, you know, I think um, we bought some at five and a quarter or 5.30 last week, wrote it up to about 5.75, and then they came back. So it, it is a name that's, Somewhat volatile because of its size, because it's a very uh, no, this, micro cap. This, this, stock, the, this preferred, it, right? It pays a really nice um, dividend. No, is this uh, the kind? It's a REIT. Yeah, it pays a really nice dividend. Okay, so this and is it's the common. Very stable industry. Right, so this is the common, and not, there's not a preferred there. This is the common. This is the common, right? Okay. This, this, this is the common. It's a REIT. It, they all they do is uh, it's global self storage is the is the, the company name. Uh, ticker symbol is self, and all they do is um, public storage facilities. There's and they're a, in what I would call the secondary markets. Not in the they're not in the Chicago's. They'd be in maybe like say the Dayton or the Springfield's, like the smaller cities. Actually, I think we do have some here. You may, yeah. Is there? They have a who's there? They have like one or two big competitors. Are they paying as much there or no? They 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 do. They have actually they have several competitors. They have a, a competitor here in Florida that um, actually is set up as a private equity firm and we looked at investing. And as a private equity, you know, if if you have it as a private equity equity investment, yes, you can get paid more, but you have a lot less liquidity. Uh, common stocks, no, I don't think you're getting paid as much. You okay. can get REITs where you're getting paid more, but they're not specifically self storage. Self storage is only part of the Portfolio, if you will. One of Audrey and my uh, friends in uh, Ogden Dunes has a self-storage facility. You know, it's out basically on Route 20. To, you know, they basically put up a whole string of garages, which really what they are out in those areas anyway. In the cities, they're you know they're big buildings with elevators and stuff, but out in the country, they're not. And I think he said the the, uh, the return was one year on one of those things. And it didn't cost. Oh yeah. It didn't cost squat to put a slab up there and put a. Essentially, it's a garage, right? <laughs> and, uh, right. With a yeah, door, and absolutely, and uh, very low maintenance. Low maintenance, and uh, you know, if you want to have a higher end one, you you might have a moisture thing right. in there. But I mean, some of them, some of them don't even have that. I mean, I I guess a few might be somewhat heated uh, if you want to go to the higher end. But he said, yeah, put these things up, and you know, the the guy pays for it the first year, and then the rest of your life you're just rolling in the cash. Cash flow machine. It's a, it's a great cash flow machine. So you have one uh, this particular company is well run. 
um, the management of the team is a, it's a, a Wall Street guy. I mean, he's got a really good finance sense, investment sense. So, um, so you still like self, and we still like PG&E. Yes. All right, bud. Yep. <clears throat> Have a good week. Uh, talk to you next week. SP Futures yes. up two. Nasdaq Futures yes. up thirty-seven. Looks like we're heading north again today. Be right back. Stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Hamas from Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up 275. NASDAQ Futures up 40 as the NASDAQ rally looks like it's going to continue. Uh, European Central Bank raises rates by 50 basis points. Its first hike in 11 years. Uh, Dow Futures are down 26. Um, well, some, well, they're going along, let me see, I'm not exactly positive where that brings them up to. I'm going to say it, uh, it's, it's still barely like 1%. And they're, and they're, and they're let's see. Bring it, it raises rates by 50 basis points, bringing its deposit rates to zero. Wow! So they, they're like back to zero when their when their PPI is 36 uh, percent. They're a little they're a little behind the times here. Wow! Uh, over in Europe, we've got DAX down 63.5 percent, FTSE down 17.3 percent, CAC around up for 26.4 percent. They're going against the tide. In Asia, mixed bag. Nikkei up 122. Nikkei's been strong, 0.4%. Shanghai down 32. That's a full 1%. Hang Seng down 315. That's 1.5%. Back down in the 
almost in the mid-20s after breaking up to a 21, 3, or 4 earlier in the week. They're back down to this 20,574. Just can't seem to shake it. This mid-20s like a magnet for these guys. Yesterday, Dow was up 47, S&P up 23, NASDAQ up 184. It's like three days in a row, NASDAQ has really been off the races. Uh, bonds, unchanged at 3.05. The bond uh, up eight basis points to 1.35. Japan unchanged at 0.24. Oil, big whack, whack, whack here in oil. On 383, it's 3.8%. 96.05, Brent down 388, 103.04. Natural gas down 24 cents, 776. Arbob down 18 cents, 309. I better not be paying 553 this weekend. It's way too much with Arbob at 309. Gold down 11 bucks, come, actually came back a little. 1688. Silver down 44 cents, 1822. Copper down 4 cents, 327. We've got crypto down, Bitcoin's down 874, 22,796. We have the dollar, it's a new one, maybe the dollar versus the euro, 102, uh, 1.0259. So still really low, almost a dollar on the euro, but significantly above the 0.99 it was uh, Monday morning. What do you got for us, Travis Weather Sports? 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. Uh, still off to a very nice start here for a Thursday morning. No accidents to report on the Edens or Kennedy. Eisenhower and Stevenson looking good, as are Southside Expressways. We are seeing travel time starting to build, but no accidents to report, no stalls or significant delays, just normal traffic volumes. So good news there if you're heading into work this morning. Off the expressways out in the western suburbs, we have a crash Route 83 at 63rd Street, and then just northwest of there, Army Trail Road at Wall Street, there's a crash. But everything else looking good. Weather today, sunshine early. Could see some midday showers spring up in a couple of uh, areas. Uh, a high of 93 today, so it'll be hot and steamy. Chance of some midday rain, but mostly sunny throughout the day. Right now, it's clear and 74 downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy skies with a high of 112. Right now, it's clear and 96. In sports, uh, the quietest night of the sports calendar was last night, the day after the MLB All-Star Game, where none of the major sports uh, teams are in action. Baseball returns tonight, but not for our Chicago teams. They're back in action tomorrow. Cubs will be in Philadelphia. White Sox will host Cleveland. And for our Phoenix listeners, Arizona returns tomorrow hosting Washington. Chief. The, um, John, how are you? I'm good, Tom, and you? I'm doing good. I, uh... Want to uh, take advantage of Mr. Weber's presence? I obviously totally miss him on the sports and personally when he's not here. Um, so, but I've got to quiz him, and you can pile right in. Who was the greatest five-tool major league outfielder to come along since Willie Mays? According, this is by Cora Digest. Um, to come along since Willie Mays. They claim he was the, the best. Now, doesn't mean he was the best outfielder ever. They, they say he was the best five-tool outfielder ever. So this means uh, speed, power, arm. Yep. Um, what, what else? What are the other two tools? It's for average, average. For power, run, throw, and uh, was he a play defense? I guess just defense, huh? Yeah. Um, good question. I've um, post Willie Mays, so we're talking. Well, there's a lot of, lot of statistics to take into account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean the. Uh, I don't know what metric they're using to measure this, yeah. uh, but because uh, we don't have great defensive metrics yet, although apparently they are getting better. Yeah, they're getting better, I think. Uh, I mean, the the name that comes to mind to me would be either Barry Bonds or, or Mike Trout. Ding, ding, ding. Which one? But Mike Trout, they got his number two. Uh, Barry Bonds is second. Uh, Which one's second? 
Trout, or, Trout, and then Bonds after him. So Bonds is third. Yeah, well, yeah. And then, well, since Mays, he's second. Oh, okay, so Mays uh, is first. Yeah, and uh, then Ken Griffey. Yeah, uh, Griffey's a good one. Yeah, he would have been one of the next names that came. Because they, they they use this, the the uh, speed metric as uh, stealing bases, which I I'm not so sure I would I would agree with that, but uh, but then they got Ricky Henderson, obviously. Uh, Aaron Judge, you know, they said he checks all the boxes. He actually runs a little bit, doesn't he? So, I mean, you know, not seeing the Yankees play as much as, as some people do, um, I didn't know that. I assumed he was more of a corner outfielder slash DH type, but but maybe he does run. I mean, he's certainly young. I know he's got, know he's got a good arm. Yeah. Got, but he's a – what, is he 6'7"? I can't imagine well, he's, he's that at fast. Least that. Maybe he's at he least is. that. Yeah. Then they got Mookie Betts. Um, but this is – and uh, obviously they're – they they check they, you know check one of the boxes like a half box. Larry Walker, Paul Molitor, Robin Young, Kirby Puckett, Henry Dawson, because he was a space stealer. Sure. Andrew Jones, in Montreal, yeah. Andrew Jones would have yeah. I, I, he was on the tip of my tongue too. In fact, I thought about him, but he's not in the same class obviously as Bonds or Trout. Dale Murphy, Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith was a really there's a guy that gets not no much not much press, but he was a great ball player. Yeah. Uh, Caesar Cedeno, Beltran, Josh Hamilton. But here's here's where it kind of falls apart because then they go. Uh, the best four-tool player, players, which uh, since you know the, in the modern era would be Ichiro, Winfield, Tim Raines, Dwight Evans, Fred Lynn, Jim Edmonds. Uh, Jim Edmonds is a fast guy who made 67 did, steals. Did, have you said Tony Gwynn? Uh, to I me, think, he would be the best four-tool, wouldn't he's, he? He's, he's, he's right here. He's a bit lacking in the power department, and he's only had 135 homers. So that's the, the, Yeah, so that'd yeah. Be, that's why he's not a five-tool. He, he had everything. Uh, right. He was the best average hitter. Oh. I'm not so sure he was a base stealer. He was when he was younger. Yeah. Oh, man, he was really fast when he was younger. Well, I, I, in the I, 90s, he put on some weight, and he, he didn't run as much. But when he came up with the Padres, he was he stole well, a ton of bases. Obviously, the, the difference between the the, the five-tool guy that didn't quite have five and the four-tool guy that might have had five, there, there's a blend there. Yeah. These guys are all – you take any of these people, Tony Gwynn, Kenny Lofton, Vladimir Guerrero, I think we'd want any of these people on our team, wouldn't we? Yes, I would say so. Now, Well, here now, John, while we have you, the best five-tool outfielders of all time. Mays. Yep. Clemente. I got him three. Um, Trout's still up there. Uh, he's five. Bonds is still up there. Six. Um, what do you think number two is? Mantle. Uh, Mantle, they got is uh, top ten, right? Four. Okay, four. Um, he had a he had an eighty percent success rate on steals. Um, what about Hank Aaron? Uh, they got he's like number nine. Number two, they got Shoeless Joe Jackson. Oh, okay, yeah, I wouldn't have gone okay. back that far. He, the guy hit three fifty six, one seventy OPS. Outrageous for the dead bowler or any era. He averaged twenty five steals per per year, uh, with highs of forty one and thirty five. A converted pitcher. Um, so he has to be one of the best arms of the era and uh, whatever. But all these guys, I mean, God, talk about really good players. Oh, yeah. Tris Speaker, they got him as eight. They got uh, uh, Ty Cobb, um, number nine. Uh, Hank Aaron, Ricky Henderson, Frank. You know, Here's a name that people forget all the time, and I think he's one of the best players I ever saw was Frank Robinson. Of course. He said he checks all the boxes, 154 OPS. God, is that high. Yep. He's five, a good manager, 586, too. yeah. 204 stolen bases, a gold glove, and 135 assists with a huge arm. He had eight seasons of 15 and 13 assists. I mean, how many people do that in the outfield? Seems like a lot. Ricky Henderson, Yastrzemski, Al Kaline, Pete Rose. I mean, there's, well, you know, baseball's been blessed. I just, I hope they don't screw it up. 
they're, they're talking about a pitch clock next year, though. I'm so excited about that. They're seeing the average time of games in the minor leagues since they've instituted the pitch clock go down by like 30%. I mean, where, where would which you is put what it? we're looking for. Where would you put it? Good question. Um, I don't know. Does it, The pitcher needs to see it, obviously, right? So do you no, no, I mean, what, what, how many seconds? Oh, how many seconds? Uh, I... Good. Also, a good question. I I would say you got to start maybe higher than maybe where you want to end up. So maybe you start like twenty four seconds, like the NBA, and maybe you're you're trying to get down to twenty or or something like that. What do you think? Well, your your fastest guys I ever saw when I was watching during COVID when there was no baseball, I was watching all the old games. Fergie had to be one of the fastest. He was like eleven. No, you're not gonna you're not gonna get that. You're not gonna go back to that. No, you're not gonna go back to that. so, but if they can go to if they can be in the twenty range, I mean that's a huge difference. I mean some of these guys, especially these late inning relievers, are forty five seconds, fifty oh, seconds. Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was it, watching it's a like start, ridiculous. I was watching a starter the other night. The routine: if if the batter leaves the box, messes with his gloves, come back in, and even if it's a starter, then gets the sign and throws, it's about thirty one. So I would start at probably twenty five just to get some kind of a routine down to where love it. The batter's got to get because you know the weird part. Anyway, we got stuff talking about with Jan, but I, you know, as you know, <laughs> I, I'm always—I'm not use the term taping, but I, I put the pause on, right, and then go do something, check out stuff for the show, and I come back. Well, if you do that for the Bear game, you can see the whole—you can buzz through all the all the delay in football. Really, is the commercials? Yep. Right. Same way with basketball; right. it's all the timeouts. In baseball, it's the game itself. I know that's that's what sucks. The yeah. commercials are are pretty quick. It's the uh, you're sitting there. It's it's I'm I'm to the point now where w- with the Cubs being so bad, you know, it, it, when they're good, I'll I'll enjoy watching the game. Or if Hendricks is pitching, because I really enjoy watching him pitch, I'll watch the whole game. But to, I'm to the point now where I'll fast forward when we're on defense, and I'll only watch our at bats. Really? So if I'm behind, like like you're saying, if I pause it and I'm doing something else. I will uh, if if it's not a pitcher that I'm in, that I enjoy pitch like watching you know like Hendricks who who works quickly and stuff like that I will fast forward through uh, when we're when we're on defense and then I'll yeah I'll watch our at bats and uh, and then cuts the game in half. Well, do you think you can? You, you can't have you can't penalize the pitcher if you're going to let the batter be out of the box twelve seconds before he gets back in. Oh yeah, there, so it it applies to the. I'd have to pull up what they're doing in the minor leagues, but you're right. The batter, they have they have rules too. Yeah, because I think you need to to spin it up a little bit. If I ever did that in softball, you guys would have lynched me. We never make it to the bar. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be at the, in under certainly under thirty seconds, but I'd like to be around twenty if you can uh, between pitches and get those games under three hours again. A two and a half hour baseball games is a is a is a is a perfect length. Yep. And uh, and I think that'll help. I think that's the number one reason why it dri- it drives people away is the games are just too long. Well, plus you get the, the relievers are so much slower. I can make it to this like the sixth inning, the seventh inning. They start bringing two and three guys in. Seventh inning is a half hour. Well, it is funny because if you have two good pitchers on the mound, two good starters, the first five or six innings will take an hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like you know you're watching a game from the late '80s. Uh, but then once you bring in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning guys, I mean, then all of a sudden that's where your two and a half hours in addition to that first hour comes in. Yeah, you know, just real quick on the Cubs. You know, they I've watched them a little bit. They, they get, they get, I've never seen a team, they're pretty fundamentally sound considering they have different people at every, every spot every day. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a group of guys 
try harder or, or looking like they're enjoying being around each other. I don't know if that's manager or it's just they all came up together in the minors or what. But they're, they're playing some pretty good teams, and they're losing them all, but they're losing them in the 10th inning, 11th inning. Yeah. They're not getting blown out that much. I think it's a credit to Ross. I do too. I really do. I mean, I think he keeps a, he, he has a good culture, um, and uh, the guy, he's still in it. All in, he's committed, and he keeps these guys focused and engaged. They just don't have the horses. I mean, I'll tell you what, that kid in uh, center fielder is a keeper. I agree. And who's the guy? That I don't know if he's. I don't know if center field's his best position or not. Well, he's we'll, fast we'll see. I, I think that's where they project him as being a center fielder, which would be great. Um, but, but because he's also a middle infielder, and I don't know what what he's better at. But um, but he's got. He, it's talking about guys that are potential five tool guys. I mean, if he figures it out, he's only what twenty three. Yeah. He's got speed. He's got power. He's got a monster arm, and uh, he can go get him in center. He's just got a. He's just. He's really raw. Like he'll yeah. he'll take a weird route on the ball. He doesn't have very good instinct off the bat, but he's so fast. You know, he can kind of make up for it right now. But he's got to he's got to work on that stuff. Who's the guy? Uh, he played left field for uh, Hap D H. And uh, this is the guy who burned up the summer or the fall league last year. Um, uh, Velasquez. Yeah, he he struck this guy out at the plate. The guy was dead. He was a dead duck. He just was an aspirin tablet to Contreras. Yeah, that kid's got a lot of talent too. He's got some power and he's got he's got an arm. I I don't know how highly rated he is. I mean, the Cubs, the Cubs farm system is is back in really good standing after they traded away all their prospects. You know, when they were when they were winning to try to you know get guys like Aroldis Chapman and different guys like that to put them over the top. They really depleted their farm system, which kind of happens. That's what the White Sox have done as well. Uh, so the White Sox have no farm system anymore because all their guys are now up, right? And, yep. and you trade your other ones for assets and stuff. So it kind of goes in cycles. Well, the Cubs, their farm system is really good again. It's it's considered a top five or ten farm system in baseball. I think again. that kid was the MVP of the fall league, wasn't he? Uh, he was, and they have uh, this guy Pete Crow Armstrong that they got from the Mets in the Javi Baez trade. So they traded two months of Javi Baez for this Pete Crow Armstrong guy, who's an outfielder, who's who's in Double A right now, batting like three fifty, and he, and he's got you know great defensive player, hits for average, hits for power, and they got a stable of these guys right now. And if they trade uh, more assets like they're expected to in the next two weeks to get even more, yeah, but you can't, you're never going to get another Contreras. That's but a bit, plus he's young. Contreras is the one. You, it's so hard to find a catcher. Uh, he's what twenty five. He's older than that, but oh. I mean, he was he was he played in the 2016 World oh, that's, Series. That's right. That's right. So he's probably, if I had to guess, he's 28, 29. I, I'll look it up. I just want to confirm something you said earlier, Matt, about you know, Wrigleyville, because I found myself on an epic trip on the Clark Street bus yesterday, which I usually don't undertake. <laughs> um, you know, I used to live just south of Third Base back in the 90s, just you know, between Belmont and. Madison there, and you know, the, my image of what the neighborhood was like then, and the ballpark with what it looked like yesterday. Because I haven't been through there in the daytime in quite a while, but man, it's it's that neighborhood has lost a lot. <laughs> it's, it's hard to put my finger on it, but it is completely homogenized and made just about as faceless and undistinguishable, at least as I remember it, as possible. So there's been a you know something that we've, we've given up. With all that, so. Yep, 100% agree. By the way, Contreras is 30. 30, okay. Uh, see, he turned 30 in May, so yeah, I knew he was a little older. You know, Manny, I think you're going to get another, with his DH and him being a good hitter, catching four days a week, I think he's good till 37. I uh, I think so, too, with the fact that he's DH in half the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, John, you're right about Wrigleyville. It's, uh, so the Cubs basically gobbled up uh, the north side of, of, of Clark Street, 
all the way down to, to what, like Roscoe. And then they have uh, the, the whole area just north of the stadium on Clark Street, um, which I guess is north and, and west of yeah. the stadium on Clark Street. They have that whole area, which is all, you know, they, that Gallagher Way and the big hotel and all that stuff. And I'm sure it's really nice. And, and I get, I know some people that like it because you can bring, it's, it's, it's very family friendly. They've got like the picnic tables and they've got activities for the kids and they've got clean, you know, restaurants and stuff like that and shopping. And I get that, but it's, it's really just sanitized that whole area to the point where it's, it's unrecognizable. It and just doesn't look real to me right. anymore. And I know because there's progress and being the old coot that I am, all this stuff looks like, you know, a betrayal of my past yeah. at some point. But it's also. It's got. It's a, it looks like just a lot less fun than it used to be. I don't think we want Chicago. Be, yeah, I don't think we want Chicago becoming a strip mall city like like a Phoenix or an LA or or an Atlanta where everything is just new strip mall buildups. Like that's that sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's like we. I don't think we want to lose what we have here and. Wrigleyville, you know, love it or hate it for for you know the the drunken antics that happened there, but. It, it, it still was a, a cool sort of assembly of privately owned bars and restaurants yeah. and coffee yep. shops and, and, and shopping. And there was so like you're in a city and not just some kind of staged area. Yes, exactly. How and far down Clark did they go to the south? Is the Irish Oak still there? Um, so they only have one side of the street. So if you're on the south side of Clark, all of that stuff is still there, like Merkel's and, and all of those bars. And, and there's some new ones as well. The, the north side of the street, they have down pretty far. I don't think it goes all the way down to Roscoe, but it's close. So it's it's a it's a good two or three blocks that they have. Okay, so you're, you're talking north. No, north. I'm talking south south of the stadium on Clark, and okay. then and then just north of the stadium on Clark is where they have like their Gallagher Way and all of that. Yeah, stuff. How do they get the zoning for that thing? That's what, like the old parking lot and all that. Yeah, how do they get the zoning for that? I don't know. And then across the street, don't ask. Yeah, yeah. Across the street, uh, just north of Addison, uh, and, and across the street from Clark, that's where like the old uh, McDonald's was and all that. Now yeah. that's like the big hotel, which that really stands out <laughs> when you God, see yeah. a gigantic, you know, ten-story well, hotel. Well, what building. about the houses right next to the alley? You're not, you're not, a, you're ass buttoned up against a hotel. There are houses right there. I don't think there are any houses left right there. No, I don't think so. Good. Anyway, Jan. So what? Uh, You've heard a lot of the discussion today with Lou and with uh, Dan, and um, I, I know it's a smaller group, and let's put it this way. People that, are, that have ever traded on the trading floor, and people says, you know, those guys are a bunch of thieves. Well, that, that is absolutely wrong, because you have to be in a position where you make sometimes tens of 20 to 30 to hundreds of transactions a day, and if you ever cheat on one of them, you'll, you'll, nobody will trade with you ever again. So it's a, it's a totally different world. When you have regulators say, how could somebody trade like that? How could anybody be counted on to trade on their honor? Well, they were. I mean, maybe you'd never let a regulator trade on their honor. That's possible, I guess. But uh, whenever you see people front-running this stuff, you didn't like it when the firms did it, and you sure don't like it when your elected officials who you're paying use use their salary and their time to turn around and front-run you on the floor. And it, John, I tell you what, I, and the attitude in this area... And I know the, the, you know, if you're, obviously we both talk to a lot of conservative people. I mean, the, the poster p- people are, uh, you know, Pelosi's husband. But the, the, the list of the top 15, it's probably, it's probably more Republican, but still, it's, it's half and half. I mean, uh, it's, I mean it's, it's, to me, it's despicable. And I, you know, but I don't think anybody cares what I think. You're, you, you contrast that to something like, you know, HUD. You know, which uh, another 
you know, regulatory monster yeah. that's sort of you know, going way outside its field of expertise. Now you got the woke HUD going after the woke mayor in Chicago for not being woke enough when it comes to placing things like general iron and doing it to punish, you know, people of color. So <laughs> I, I think you'll, you'll never have any kind of industry in any kind of city where there's any sort of racial mix anymore without turning it into some racial hot-button issue that will, will infuriate everybody and it will end up making the project go somewhere where it doesn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. Well, but you, but you're general iron. Pe- people, regardless of color, whether they're woke or not, uh, I live in the area where General Iron was. Well, they stole the property. And it was a, for those that don't know, it was a recycling facility. Uh, and they was That would have explosions like every two or three every years. Once in a while, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would shake, literally shake our building. Yeah, but you know, shake it once in a while. You know, yeah, you need a little something once in a while. But I know every Monday morning, I mean, every, every guy, you know, grabbing washing machines and stuff out of the alleys lined up in their pickup truck. And it, but it's something. It was right on the water, so you could you know get stuff out of there by by water, by river. But they need to be somewhat somewhere. So, Maddie, what do you think we are, Maddie? We're a mile and a half away. I think we're. I think I were. Maybe not even less. Much less than that. Um, I actually Google mapped it once. I think we're like uh, less than. I don't. Uh, let me look it up. Just west of Clyburn, there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. can look it up. But yeah. the but it's the, the mile, yeah. but the, the 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 Cliff Notes history is this was always an industrial area, and actually there was there was an ordinance passed twenty five years ago to essentially keep the area industrial, right? Where you couldn't put anybody in there in this whole industrial area because they didn't want the city didn't want to lose all their industry. So yeah, the place is kind of close. Well, and then you also had a steel company that nobody then all of a sudden yeah. Yeah, nobody liked that there. So of course, if you're any kind of person. <laughs> No matter what color you are, if if you move this thing to another area, and you say, "Hey, those people were pissed off was in their area. They're a mile and a half away. I'm a mile and a half away. I don't want it here either." So, but at some point, it just becomes. We were, we were zero point four miles away. Really? Yeah, nineteen oh nine North Clifton to nineteen fifty one North Seminary. Well, by, but you had to drive to get around it. It was longer yeah. to drive. I guess if you just were a crow fly, it, it just says far. two minutes, zero point four miles. Wow. <laughs> I guess we were pretty close. Yeah. But, uh, man, it, I, I still don't know, for those that don't know, see these things, they're just, they're just a massive pile of, I'll use the term, crap that had washing machines, you name it, and this big claw would come down, and all of a sudden, like the next day, you'd see some truck driving out of there with all these pellets of iron. What do they do with the rest of the stuff, man? They put it on barges and send it down. I mean, I mean they separated somehow the metal from all the, all the you know, a lot of all the insulation and stuff that's in refrigerator. Somehow they're they're down to the metal, which is which is really used for highway construction and buildings. I mean, it's, you can make that metal into in any other than specialty steel. You do anything with it. And it's not like this is this is the, the dream of everybody to recycle everything, right? Very green. Yeah, it's very green. Except the plant isn't green at all. Like Mary right. says, I mean, well, the, the plant that, stinks. No, will it ever be? <laughs> well, because yeah, with all the stuff around the steel, somehow you got to separate the wash, the, the, the junk, and the washer. Price to be green, you know. I, I think you know. It's a question of how much of a price, but I, I get the concept. But uh, to say you could do it with absolutely no impact environmentally or or on, on the adjoining population is ludicrous. Oh yeah, but I just I'm. I was fascinated to see how they separated all that out of there, the copper wire from this, that, and the other thing. Well, it's just a big pile of stuff. <laughs> anyway, John, thank you very much. Yep. Maddie, thank you. SPV is up 10. NASDAQ is up 65. As, as rally's relentless so far. 
See if it keeps going. Talk tomorrow, Stacks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.